Hello, my dear listeners, it's Cameron from The Coder Career here. You may have noticed that this appears to be a different episode, and that is because it is. This is actually the first episode of a new series I'm starting called This Is My Stack. This Is My Stack is a video first series. So if you want to watch the actual video, check it out on my YouTube channel. That's in the link, but we will be releasing audio versions too. I'm at a slightly different place in my career than what I was when I started The Coder Career over two years ago now. And I'm now much more interested in entrepreneurship. And I think there's a plethora of amazing entrepreneurship podcasts out there. I didn't want to make another My First Million because those guys do an amazing job. However, there's less shows talking about how people build cool, profitable businesses using their tech stack. And that's the whole idea behind this is my stack. People explain their technical choices, tell you a little bit more about each part of their stack and why they use it, potentially even how you can learn it. Like the Coder Career, this is going to be suitable for all experience levels. If you want to support the show, we do have a patron. And then, of course, do go and show the show some love on YouTube. The first guest is actually someone who's been on the Coder Career before, so you may be familiar with him already. It's Dan Bruce. You may know already that Dan successfully sold his last business, Albert. We talk about the tech stack that made Albert successful and why Dan is choosing some slightly different stuff for his new startup, Shipped. But seeing as this new show is supposed to be slightly shorter in duration and I'm currently waffling well past a minute long intro, I'll let you have a listen of the show. Let me know what you think. I'll be on a Discord chatting about this. Hi, I'm Dan Bruce, serial entrepreneur, and this is my stack. Thanks so much for joining me. First episode of This Is My Stack or My Stack. We're still working on the title here. Um, so for people who are new to this channel, and obviously you will be new to the series, my stack is a way for us to interview indie hackers, high growth technical entrepreneurs about what they're building their products with in their technical stack. So Dan, do you want to tell me a little bit about yourself? Obviously we've known each other for a while now. Do you want to say a little bit about yourself, what you've worked on before and what you're working on right now? Sure. Um, first of all, I'm really excited uh, to be here. As, as you know, I really like the idea of this, this podcast. So as I, as I alluded, I'm a serial entrepreneur and I got started in that as, as, as many do by becoming a software engineer. I've worked on a load of cool things, everything from video games. Um, I've worked for banks such as RBS and Santander. And eventually I decided to do my own venture. And so myself and one of my best friends started a, the most boring company anybody could think of. We were in, we were in bookkeeping and accounting, but we were very fortunate. We, we built a fantastic product and got it acquired by Santander Bank in 2019. And just at the point now, after recovering from burnout and various other things where I started to think about my next venture, and I'm hoping to ship the next version either end of this month, early next month. That's quite exciting. So um, you're someone who's kind of been there, done the done the venture route, had the big exit to the um, to the bank, and now you're going full indie hacker, which is uh, pretty pretty exciting. So tell me about the business that you um, you ran before. The previous business also it was um, it was a mobile bookkeeping product, and so my best friend and I were working over in California as freelancers and we were really struggling to keep on top of our finances that would be like our invoices and our expenses and this is at the time where the the, the major players now your invoice to go your, your your QuickBooks weren't really very good on mobile and so my co-founder and I uh, naively thought oh we're gonna build a mobile bookkeeping app and we're gonna sell it in a year's time and so 
the timeline was a little extended. It took us five years, but yeah, we we created the the best and the fastest growing mobile bookkeeping app in the UK. And at the point we were looking to expand into different countries and start to bring in a lot of the cool stuff around open banking, Santander came along and bought the whole business. It's like a dream scenario. So you said it, you thought it was going to take you a year, it took you a bit longer. What what did you actually build the whole stack with? And do you think that was like an influence in why it took a bit longer than you thought? So it's been a huge influence in the stack I've chosen to build my next venture. And so I remember reading on Twitter by somebody much smarter than I that says essentially build your next startup in the in the stack that you're most comfortable with. And for a long time, I, I kind of agreed until it came start time to start my next venture. And I looked back at the, the stack we'd used and realized, A, it was really antiquated and B, it was, um, it was really complicated. And, and so that stack was essentially express uh, express microservices so um, node.js express microservices and um, a combination of mongodb or mysql depending on on what suited the needs best um, and i've completely dropped mongodb from my current stack so my current stack is now um and i'll go into i'll go into more details why in a bit but my current stack is uh, react for the front end including, and I hope nobody gets angry at this, server components all the way. Um, it's it's how people should be building websites, and, and I will die on that hill. Uh, Nest.js for, the, um, for the, the API layer, Nginx for the API gateway, and Postgres for the database. I've completely dropped um, NoSQL databases, not because I don't like them. I think they're fantastic, and I move really, really quickly with a schemaless database. But the, the times that I was most scared building Albert, that was the startup, was when we had to do no schema, schema migrations. And I was really scared that I was going to kind of break some of the data. And so I've gone completely um, SQL oriented for this, this next startup. Yeah, see, I think for me, I'm very much a move fast and break things kind of guy. Like I, I fully subscribe to that philosophy and I understand that uh, you know, non-relational databases allow you to do that. However, I've had the same experience where the amount of time stuff has gone wrong and that's because I don't have the structure uh, and the discipline required of me, um, you know, with, uh, with a SQL or MySQL database. Um, it's just ended up causing me more work eventually. And um, I think one of the key components of pragmatism is sometimes the easiest way is not actually the easiest way. Uh, and that's definitely the case with, you know, something like a MongoDB. It's not a bad technology at all, but particularly when you're maybe less experienced on the back end, which I am, um, you know, it can often cause you more problems than times it saves, therefore making you spend more time uh, on, on those problems. So I agree with you. I'm personally at the moment fully, fully into relational databases, but who knows? My opinions change like the wind anyway. Otherwise, this would be a boring show. <laughs> I'm sure my opinion will probably have changed again in six months' time. But the the most scary migration we did was it wasn't too late into the to the startup, but we had something like one and a half million invoices in there. And so we migrated them all from one schemaless schema as it is to another. And everything was fine except for a small percentage of customers. And it took us a day or two to figure out that they were 
old customers with old style invoices that we totally forgot about. So we fixed it, but I just don't want to go through that again. It was a terrifying couple of days because we didn't know whether we bought like a load more of the the one and a half million documents as it was. Yeah, absolutely. And when when you're starting talking about millions of documents, all I can think about is the amount of potential things that could go wrong um, if that data is not tightly structured. You know, it, especially if you're talking about financial records like like you are with your uh, previous um, uh, business, Albert. Um, and moving on to what you're working on right now, uh, am I allowed to say the name? Of course, of course. So what you're working on now, shipped. It is an awesome name um, because it's all about shipping stuff uh, very quickly and making money, which is what we're all about. Um, so do you want to give a rundown um, to people about what Shipped is going to be and what Shipped is right now? Since selling Albert, I've spent a lot of my time mentoring engineers and entrepreneurs and product people and, and just various types of people involved in building technology products leaning towards SaaS. And I noticed something it was that they were all having to reinvent the wheel. They were all building, spending much more time in the first 12 to 24 months building SaaS features, account sign-up, subscription management, customer service, that uh, quota management, than they were building the, the actual kind of unique selling point. And after advising and monitoring and, and helping out um, so many of these types of startups and people, I decided I'm going to solve that generically. So my, my mission is to build Shopify, but for SaaS. And I've started with the subscription management side and the authentication side. So essentially with a, a very simple client side um, SDK, it's just a REST API client side SDK, people can use my product and it will easily manage the authentication and the customer management and the subscription management in about three to five lines of JavaScript. Sounds uh, sounds very exciting. And I'm actually going to be using it on startup grad jobs in the next few weeks. So perhaps even by the time this video comes out, it will be live uh, on uh, on my website. So I'm quite excited to get a lot of that kind of nitty gritty stuff handled for me. So what, what, are, you, what are you building it with? You mentioned a bit of the stack earlier. What, what's the full rundown? Yes, yeah, so uh, as I mentioned, React server components, and so there's a reason for that. I am, I am older than I look, I hope, and so I was. <laughs> so I'm used to building uh, what they now call the cool kids called multi-page web apps, which I just call a website, and so um, it feels like it's going back to those days where you just create HTML pages and it's just really simple. I think in another life I'd have been a Ruby on Rails developer. So I really love that direction for the front end. And I feel a little bit like Facebook, Facebook, Facebook have tricked us for, <laughs> oh dear, Facebook have tricked us for maybe the last decade creating these whizzy kind of interactive single page applications. So I've gone totally for React server components on the front end. I'm very modular in how I like to do things. And so I have Nginx as a gateway, and that is sat between my React front end and my Nest.js monolithic backend. And the real reason for using Nginx is simply for its authentication module. And so what that means is when a request hits Nginx, I can go off to a different service or a different endpoint, authenticate the request, and then by the time the request hits my app, 
it, it's, it's fully authenticated and the app can trust the request and the apps just focus very much on business logic there rather than authentication. And so it's, yeah, so it's React server components, Nginx, and then there's a Nest.js uh, backend with a Postgres database. The other reason I like Nest.js is, as I mentioned at Albert, we built this probably overcomplicated microservices system. But my mind does design things in terms of uh, modules. So like a customer module or a, or a tenant module or a subscription module. And, and so what Nest does is it offers me a modular way to build the product. And if, fingers crossed, it gets big enough, it also offers a very nice way to split those modules out into their own microservices too. So would you, you would say you're pro-microservices No, I'm absolutely not pro-microservices. Oh, you're no, not? Sorry. No, sorry. So I was pro-microservices and um, I still like the idea of them at the right scale and at the right team size, but um, everybody should be starting with a monolith and monoliths can scale really, really big. I think at the point the code becomes hard to manage. There's too much going on in the monolith. That would be the right time to start splitting things out. In terms of scale, I'll just keep spinning up more instances of a monolith if that's, if that's needed. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think a lot of the time people really overcomplicate the architecture of their MVP. Um, you know, I've seen this a million times before where people will build as if they already have 10 million users. And don't get me wrong, I love the ambition. Love it. Um, you know, uh, but for me, I'm kind of mindful of the fact that most businesses fail and you, you have to be brutal about that. So building a monolith at the start is absolutely the best way. Uh, you know, if you need to move into microservices, which again, you may not even need to, uh, apart from some very specific situations, then you can do that. And I would also say as well, a lot of time people think they need microservices when actually all they need to do is to reorganize their monolith. Um, because, you know, I try and make a habit of every month or so, just have a spring clean um, of, the, of the monolith because you'd be amazed how much easier you can make it to use as a developer and how much quicker you can make it. I think as developers, we're all guilty of wanting to do the cool thing, and, and, and myself especially. Uh, but it's a bad reason to do something. And so, yeah, like um, one of one of the advice I give to a lot of the entrepreneurs I, I coach is um, focus on one metric, and that metric had better be revenue. There is no more important metric at all well actually there is one profit uh, <laughs> um and survival if you can count that as a metric um but it, it's amazing how people will just run away from it and act like it's a dirty word and say you know because we're engineers we don't need to think about the business the reality of this is and i actually tweeted this out um the other day hoping for a bit of engagement bait but didn't get it uh is that the the thing is 99% of the time, you're either coding to make money or save money. And you just have to keep that in mind and prioritize your tasks as such. I completely agree. One of the, um, yeah, so one of the tweets that I've got a little bit, uh, I'm having a lot of fun with is these, if you've done X, you've shipped too late. And so like the last one I did is, if you're not shipping SQLite in production, you've shipped too late. But actually, I... Uh, I disagree with the tweets, um, and, and this all comes from going through the acquisition process, whereby I had to go through technical due diligence. 
And some of the scariest parts were explaining bad technical decisions we've made early on to move quickly. And so I think there's got to be a there's got to be a compromise. And so I don't know if this makes me a, a good engineer or a bad entrepreneur or, or vice versa, but I'm always I'm always on the side of automated tests. I use Jest and um, and Supertest for that. I even do unit tests. All my code's very well documented because you never know when you're going to have to take a, a month away from a, from an indie project, come back to it and, and not know where you are. And so I think having gone through selling a company and knowing what technical due diligence looks like, I'm very mindful of making sensible decisions that are, I, I, I know better how to compromise, compromise now is I think what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And a silly hypothetical. Let's say you're only allowed to do one end-to-end or unit tests. Which you choose end-to-end every day. Like the end-to-end are about the customer behavior, and and that's really what you're you're interested in. The, the unit tests, I guess, are a little bit about customer behavior. If you're treating yourself, or stakeholder behavior, I guess, if you treat yourself or other engineers. But end-to-end, if you're giving something to customers, you need to be testing what the customer is going to experience. And I'd even go so far as I'd even go so far as um, if you can get a manual tester, then maybe skip the end to end and just let them. Uh, no, no, uh, I'm I'm just trying to I'm trying to overcompromise there. Yeah, and another question I had about your stack. Uh, I can guarantee that almost some of the viewers will have misheard NestJS and heard NextJS. <laughs> yeah, NestJS is totally different. It Why is. would you choose that? over alternatives because it removes a lot of the boilerplate so when when i was building express or core microservices it was fantastic it was really easy to stand up an http server and add functionality and it was very simple how you added that functionality you just added layers of functions to handle a request but it got tiresome and so what I was really looking for was something that was more opinionated. So it defined a project structure for me, modular, because that's the way that, that my brain works now and didn't have me writing all the boilerplate. I was essentially just plugging bits into something that handled it all for me. And so, and, and TypeScript, as I've got older, type safety has become much, much more important to me. Um, and so I don't know, I don't know whether that's a, because I'm becoming risk averse, but yeah, so it's, it's just a really good opinionated batteries included modular framework. And that helps you ship products much, much quicker. That is a really interesting point you bring up. Do you think your approach to programming now that you've turned 25, do you think your approach to programming, uh, has, um, has, has changed at all in all seriousness? Cause you, you've been coding for, I, I guess about 15 odd years. Do you think your approach to building products has, has changed in that time? It, it has. So you, you know, the, the meme that goes around where there's like a, a graph with a, and then on one side there's, I'm doing this. And then there's somebody who thinks there's an expert. And on the other side, they've just gone back. To oh, the bell curve. Me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love those. I love those when I accidentally realize I'm on the left side of those. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I started life as a C++ programmer on some fairly low level systems. 
and then I became I went into mobile and eventually I became a, a JavaScript developer and like who cares about types and type safety etc and I got burned quite a few times by not caring about types and type safety and so as I'm coming down the other side of the bell curve and I'm experiencing TypeScript as it were and and seeing the similarities to C++ although it's not truly type safe but it's 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 enough i think i'm starting to feel comfortable again with my with my type safe language and declaring all my types and it's it's not just safety actually um and there's going to be a load of functional programmers who hate me for this but i i think in objects and instances of objects and so just being able to thinking types helps a lot as well it helps me move more quickly it helps me document things and it helps me plan out the structure of features yeah there's an old there's an old saying isn't there about um about haste versus speed and perhaps type safety encourages the speed over the haste uh, and that's something i've been trying to do a lot in both in the products i build and both in my career i'm really bad for just rushing into stuff and going mad and then be that at work i'll sh- try and show something to some internal stakeholders well before it's ready um or i'll try and ship something well before it's ready which can be a good thing um but sometimes i take that old reed hoffman quote of if you're not embarrassed by your mvp you've launched too late sometimes i'll take that a little bit too literally <laughs> I, I think it's a great quote um, and I think I think it may have been misinterpreted in that you should be embarrassed about your MVP, like it might not look the best or or it might not have core features, but, but your core feature has to be stable and really showing the value that you're trying to give to other people. Otherwise, people will churn out or not like it for the wrong reasons, for example, if it's buggy. Mm. Um, with one caveat that if the thing you're solving is so painful that people stick around even when it's buggy, you've probably got something that's going to make you a lot of money. I think you've invented a quote there. I think, um, do one thing, but do it well. Dan Bruce, 2023. <laughs> the, one the one I'm trying to get is, um, is I hate this, uh, um, what is it, move fast and break things. I, I'd, I'd much rather get a measure fast and build things. But yeah, so tell me a little bit about uh, Shipped and like how people can learn more and what they can do if they're interested. Yeah, so it's I hate this phrase because everyone says if you're in if you're in stealth mode, you're scared of your customers. But it's in stealth mode because it's just not stable right now. And like I've just said, I need to ship. It needs to be, and it's only one very thin slice of of what a SaaS app should be. It needs to be stable and it needs to have a good developer experience. Where I'm at now, so how can people get in touch with me? LinkedIn, Twitter, email, through you. Um, as as we've mentioned, you're going to be my first customer, so I'm, I'm rushing to get things ready. I'm looking for four more customers, four early-stage SaaS founders who don't want to go through the hassle of handling authentication and uh, subscription management and are also willing to come on a bit of a journey as I build out all the other things that help people build SaaSes and kind of getting first exposure to that. Brilliant. Sounds good. So uh, do get in touch with Dan if you are interested in Shipped because it's going to be a very exciting product and it's going to save you a lot of time. If you enjoyed this first episode of this new series, please do let me know. Leave a comment if you're watching on YouTube. And if you're listening in, head on over to the YouTube channel. Could really use your support. But thanks again for checking out the first episode of This Is My Stack. And thank you, Dan, for being the guinea pig and being the first of hopefully many episodes.
Thanks, Calvin. It was great fun.